My name is Barbara Clifford and I have an unstoppable passion to create order out of chaos. I'm on a mission to help managers, business owners and CEOs to unclutter the chaos and break free from the shackles of overwhelm so that they wake each day inspired and motivated to work in peak performance and live on purpose. During these solo podcasts, I lift the lid on my journey to minimize stress and maximize time. I will share with you the mistakes, the celebrations, the joys that come from helping busy people just like you to increase your productivity and your impact in the world around you, to go from chaos to calm, from stress to strength. The term quietly quitting has instilled a little concern, perhaps anxiety, a little fear for managers, leaders and CEOs. And here's why you shouldn't panic just yet. Now, it's become a catchphrase that some may see as encouraging presenteeism in the workplace. And we know from the Productivity Commission report that this is something presenteeism and absenteeism is escalating in the workforce. The notion of quietly quitting may seem like it is encouraging people to drop out, to do the bare minimum rather than going above and beyond. Now, I totally endorse people not overloading themselves and I understand the sentiment of this catchphrase. However, we also need to avoid creating a situation where people feel that they have to opt out and opt out of their passion, opt out of their motivation, opt out of speaking up, which is only going to lead, of course, to a lack of innovation and productivity. So how do we maintain loyal and motivated staff without risk to the employee and without risk to the organisation. It's a tricky balance. I want you to think about for a moment, there's a significant anniversary in Australia on the 23rd of August, 1966, Gundrunji Stockman, domestic workers and their families initiated strike action at Wave Hill Station in the Northern Territory. Now, this strike was not only related to Aboriginal workers not being paid for all of their work, but the action itself, the this walkout and the strike that they activated also led to the return of a portion of their homelands being given back to the Gurindji people in 1974 and the passing of the first legislation that allowed First Nations people to claim land title uh, if they could prove traditional relationship to their country. So that action actually had significant long-term consequences that were important to the empowerment of not only the workers, but for Indigenous land rights. So unfortunately, though, not everybody has a voice. And for some in their workplace, they don't feel safe to speak up either. 
there are, we know that there are strikes and there are walkouts like Wave Hill, but there's not always those situations that are going to instill change in the workplace. And when we feel psychologically unsafe in the workplace or if we feel unvalued and if we don't feel protected in that workplace, then we're going to protest quietly. And sometimes it can even be unconsciously. So what are the tips that we can use to prevent creating this culture where people have to quietly quit? So number one is creating a culture of clear communication. So we don't want to create a culture where ideas are going to be shot down, where people, we're preventing ideas being shared or they're going to be ignored. We want to prevent that kind of environment being created. We want to seek solutions from others. We want to encourage people to speak up, to oppose things or oppose ideas. Um, we want to seek solutions from others, even if we feel we know the answers and what's right. It's still worth asking. And we want to continually ask people to speak up, to make it a routine part of the process. How can you incorporate that into the procedures, the communication and the way that everybody within the workplace is communicating? Number two is that we need to be responsive when challenged. No point pushing back, uh, arguing or ignoring. That's even worse when people are challenging the way things are happening within the workplace. We want to embrace team teams to challenge the leader, provided it's done in a professional and constructive way. We want to create the right culture for that to happen. So when those stockmen walked off Wave Hill, it actually took seven years before that dispute was resolved. So you can only imagine the impact it had for the company that owned Wave Hill and had all of this work. It must have cost them a fortune, and rightly so, for, for what they were doing to their Indigenous staff on the station. So you want to be able to demonstrate your commitment to negotiation, your commitment to change, your commitment to innovating and progressing because it's inevitable that things are going to change. Just take a look at Virgin Airlines, for example, who now allow their staff, their stewards, their air stewards to have tattoos where, can you imagine back in the 50s, that would have been a huge no-no on airlines. Uh, so they, and women had to wear makeup and high heels. Now their staff can have tattoos. So you want to, things are going to progress and innovate and you want to demonstrate that you have a culture of innovation. It's not enough to just hear people out. Words without actions become really, really shallow and it's just going to breed cynicism and people are going to quietly quit if they feel that the words aren't justified with any action. So... And the worst case scenario is they're going to quit and leave or they're going to strike. So you want to make sure that you, you back up your words with some form of action. You want to create space for a healthy debate where you can have ideas challenged because when those ideas are challenged, if you can explain why they exist 
or you can adapt, then people feel heard and they understand the culture and why choices and procedures exist. Be clear on the culture that you are creating. Sometimes when there is conflicts and tensions is when there's there's different strains of the culture, different teams or cliques take precedent and create their own culture. Be clear about the culture that you want to create within your workforce and within your team. Jeff Bezos, Bezos from Amazon said to his, to his staff, let's disagree and address the issue head on. And so what he would say to his team is, look, I know we don't agree here, but will you gamble with me on it? Can we disagree and still commit? And so I think it's a healthy approach. I know I've taken that as an employee where I have voiced my objection to an idea or a process or way of doing something, but willing to take on what is being recommended to me by the leadership because two outcomes are possible. Either they're going to prove that they were right and you were wrong or you're going to be able to prove you were right all along and they were wrong. So it's worth creating the, the healthy debate but also going along for the gamble and allowing people to go along with the gamble. You want to, step number three is you want to be able to create a space where you can listen to feedback and be open to change. Tricky one. It's challenging to do. We want people to be inspired to innovate and contribute to a positive workplace culture that's going to inspire others to come and work for that organisation. Now, research shows that people want, they actually want well-being within the workplace. Since COVID, what has become really, really important for people is to have a culture of well-being, so physical, mental, emotional well-being. It is less now about the kudos, as in the position title, and the income. What is becoming more prevalent and desired by the employee is a culture of well-being within the workplace. So how is that implemented in your workplace? Now, here's something interesting to think about. And when do you take into consideration the challenges that people have in the workplace? Because this can lead to innovation when people can contribute their own ideas and experiences. So, for example, my local Woolworths, I live in a large regional town in, uh, in remote Australia. Now, the local Woolworths, and I'm sure this is a national campaign, I would imagine it's something they're doing, what they've decided to do is assist customers with sensory needs. So every Tuesday between 10.30 and 11.30 is the quiet hour at Woolworths. And so during the quiet hour, the store lowers their lights they turn down the music and the radio and they avoid PA announcements as much as possible and they even turn off the oven buzzers. So this reduces sensory stimulation and allows customers time to shop in a for those customers that would otherwise not be able to and find the trip really, really overwhelming. Who came up with that idea and isn't it brilliant? And for anybody who understands that, imagine the contribution and the recommendations they could contribute to that initiative rather than being resentful that the this uh, 
shop creates an environment for their friends or family that is really unpleasant and stressful. Now they're going to be inspired and motivated and potentially contribute more ideas to create such a, a beautiful space for people to be able to do the shopping. So innovative, so amazing. So we often view feedback as being negative. So if we can create a space where we can listen to the feedback and be open to change, that can be incredibly powerful. So feedback doesn't need to be negative. We can use it to be constructive. If people are providing feedback that is objecting to something and it would otherwise be negative, how can we learn from that? What can it tell us about the process? How can we adapt, evolve and change? How can that inform us? So it can actually use the right way. It can be highly constructive. So success doesn't mean that you have no negative feedback. Success doesn't mean that you have no problems. Success will mean that you have better quality problems, uh, better quality negative feedback that will inform you of what you need to change and do to innovate and improve upon the culture and the, and the offering that you provide to your staff, to your customers and to your clients. So here's a question that was posed to me and I thought this one was really interesting. Could you be brave, go into your workplace and ask a number of your team, what do we talk about around here that we, what don't, sorry, what don't we talk about around here that we really should be talking about? So what are we not talking about that we really should be talking about? Isn't that an interesting question? What kind of topics are going to come up around that question? If people feel safe to share more of themselves, we're going to allow for more innovation. We're going to allow for more creativity and better quality problems. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. What does quietly quitting mean to you if you're in a position of leadership? What does that mean for you? And what do you think about these ideas that I've just presented to you to be able to cre prevent creating that kind of culture where people feel compelled to quietly quit? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you for listening to the Busy Working Women podcast. If you want to know more, head over to Facebook and search for our group, Busy Working Women Owning Their Lives. Join over 3,000 women from all over the world taking control of their busy lives to feel less overwhelmed and more in control. If you want to connect with me personally, visit timetamer.com.au and access a whole bunch of free resources. I can't wait to connect with you. Remember, be kind to yourself and take time for yourself.